As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Luke chapter 18. We'll also be in James chapter 1 today. Abraham Lincoln once said, The probability that we may fail in the struggle ought not to deter us from the support of a cause we believe to be just. And Lincoln knew something about persevering through struggle. You may not realize this about Lincoln. We know how he died tragically, but you may not realize that throughout his life he had a tremendous amount of setbacks. In 1831, he began a business, and that business wound up going bankrupt. So in 1832, he decided that he would run for the Illinois State Legislature, but he lost the election. 1833, I should say, he had another business fail on him. 1835, there was a lady that he had known uh, as a sweetheart through school that he had fallen in love with, that he was engaged to, and then his fiancée died tragically. And this, in 1836, led him into depression, and he had what might be classified as a nervous breakdown in 1836. 1838, he ran for the Illinois State Speaker, and he lost. 1843, ran for the United States Congress, and he lost. 1848, he again ran for the U.S. Congress, and again he... 1849, he was rejected in a bid for land officer. 1854, he ran for the United States Senate, and he... 1856, he tried to get the nomination for the Vice President of the United States, and 1858, ran for the Senate again, and 1860, ran for President of the United States, and and he won. (laughs) You say, well, how could a guy that had all those defeats in life become elected president, be elected president, of the United States. Well, a couple of things. Number one, he learned to persevere. He didn't quit. He had persistence. But at the same time that he was facing all these setbacks and all this adversity, he also had success happening in his life. You see, often whenever we think of life, we envision it as a roller coaster ride and Sometimes things are going well, and sometimes things are going badly. And we think, okay, when things are going badly, if only I can get to the next good spot, then everything will be okay. And we think of life this way, when in reality, life is more like two parallel tracks. There will always be difficulty. There will always be adversity. There will always be parts of your life that are not how you envisioned them to be. They will be areas of struggle. Yet at the same time, there will be opportunities, there will be blessings, there will be moments of success, and those tracks generally run parallel to each other. And one of the great keys to becoming the person that God created you to be, to growing spiritually, is that you develop this elusive character quality that we call perseverance, that you don't quit that you continue forward in faith. So identify a couple of areas in your life where you need more persistence. 
Are there some areas in your life where it's very tempting to quit, but you need to keep on going? It could be your marriage. Perhaps you're going through a hard time right now in your marriage, and it's easy for you to think about just leaving, just quitting, just moving on. Yet you need persistence. It might be in your parenting. Perhaps when they were little, you tried real hard and you were trying to be a, a, a good parent, but then you realize just how hard it is, and, and, and now they've grown up a little bit, and now you find yourself kind of surrendered, and you're just, just waiting for them to decide to leave, you know? <laughs> and you're kind of like, I just can't do it anymore. Maybe it's in your career, and you look back, and there was a time where you had dreams and you had vision and you thought you could really do something uh, professionally and then you ran into some obstacles and so now it's real easy for you just to put it on cruise control and just kind of surrender. This is just how it is and I can't really make a difference and I, I can't really leverage my career for the kingdom of God and I'm just going to kind of just try to survive and lay low. It could be in various life goals that you have. Maybe your retirement planning. Maybe it's with your exercise program. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, I should lose some weight or I would like to travel around the world and see some things. Well, I still can. Maybe you're trying to live life with less worry or live in the moment more and really take advantage of what's right in front of you. All these little areas of life, whether they're small or whether they're big areas of life, they all require perseverance, that you persist in doing the right thing and you do not grow weary in doing good and you don't quit. Perseverance is the fuel that turns dreams into reality. Without perseverance, dreams never become reality. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells us a parable. Jesus often taught in that way in order to illustrate a spiritual principle, and he was teaching us how perseverance is needed for you to grow spiritually. So if you desire to grow spiritually, to become the person that God has called you to be, it's going to require from you that you be a person of perseverance, and that's what Jesus is teaching us today in our passage of Scripture. So look with me to Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. He told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect man. And a widow in that town kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, let's break down the scene a little bit here. Uh, why is Jesus telling this parable? Jesus actually gives us, or the Bible actually gives us the answer right at the beginning. He is telling us because he doesn't want us to stop praying or to get discouraged. He doesn't want you to get discouraged in your coming to God, talking to God, and praying. Guess what the hardest thing is for a pastor to get people to do in the church? Pray together. The hardest thing. In fact, if I were to say right now, 
uh, let's just all stop and pray, some of y'all would be scared to death, wouldn't you? Okay? For whatever reason, it's difficult for, to get people in our culture to pray. Now, I do think that this has a certain amount of American culture that has attached itself to this reality. Because in some parts around the world, uh, you find that the church has a, a large DNA component of coming together and praying. In fact, in places around Korea, every morning, the church, the entire church will often come together and pray before they begin their day. But in America, we are very competitive. And so when it comes to this spiritual discipline called prayer, we've often seen it in a win-loss kind of perspective. I come to God and I bring Him my request. And if He does what I ask Him to do, then I've won. But if I come to God and I ask Him to do something and He doesn't do it, then I've lost. And so we have this win-loss mentality that we bring into prayer. And so you start praying and you ask God for some things and you find it to be a sweet, sweet time. But then along the way, some of the things that you ask for don't happen. And so you start concluding that prayer doesn't work. But you can't badmouth prayer because after all, it's prayer. And so you don't want to talk badly about prayer. You continue to champion it and say, yes, we need to pray. And when you hear something go on in your life group class, you tell, you tell them, I'm praying for you. But privately, often I find this, though we say we pray, we really don't pray very much. We don't talk badly about it. We just don't do it. And sometimes what we do is we outsource it. Now, here's the conclusion. We think to ourselves, well, I've tried praying, but it doesn't work for me, and so I'm going to ask someone that has a better connection than I do, and I'll ask them to pray for me. And so we, we say, okay, well, I, it doesn't work for me, but I'll ask Mr. Clifford to pray for me or Miss Shirley to pray for me because I, I want them praying for me, and I'm all for asking people to pray for you, but sometimes it masks the fact that we just don't think we can pray ourselves. But Jesus tells us here, don't quit coming to me. I want this from you. I want you to pray. You say, but doesn't God know all things, and isn't God all-powerful, and isn't God going to do whatever He wants, whether I come to Him or not? Yes, God is all-knowing and all-powerful, yet at the same time, the all-powerful, all-knowing God uses prayer as a means to carry out His will. And He uses prayer as a means to mature you and me. And so I think one of the shifts that we need to make in our prayer mentality is that we shift from thinking of it as this is how I convince God to do what I want God to do to prayer is when I spend time with God. Say, well, how do I pray? Do you know how to talk? If you know how to talk, you know how to pray. It's just spending time with God, talking to Him. Well, in the parable, you have a widow. So she's lost her husband, and because of that, she was likely poor in that society. And it appears that someone had it in for her. She had an adversary who was making her life rough, and 
was uh, causing injustice to flow into her life. And then you have a judge. This judge was in a position of authority. And unfortunately, the judge did not have character. The judge did not love God and didn't really care about people. That's a terrible place to be in when you are under the authority of someone that doesn't love God, doesn't care about right and wrong and truth, and really doesn't care about anybody else other than themselves. So understand the obstacles that this lady faced. You had the judge that in civil matters were pretty much the law within this ancient culture. When the civil judge would come to settle disputes, the judge would set up a tent in your village or in your area, and he would be there for a period of time. And if you had some type of dispute that was going on, you could go into the judge and he would settle the dispute. Now, outside the tent, there were a couple of associates or guards. So guess what began happening over time? If you wanted to get access to the judge, you had to get past the guards. Guess how you got past the guards? You bribed them. So eventually, the justice system was really breaking down because it was only the wealthy, those that could afford to bribe the guards that could get into the judge who had the authority over the civil matter and was pretty much a law within himself. And so people just lived with this injustice all the time. And so when Jesus tells the parable, they're familiar with the scene. And here is this lady. Within the society, a woman was seen as inferior. Within the legal community, she needed a husband or a brother or a father to argue her case, and so she wasn't even supposed to have access to the justice system, and she was poor, living in a corrupt society where money opened doors. But there was something different about this woman. She refused to quit. She refused to take no for an answer. She had godly, keyword godly, she had godly perseverance. And so in verse 4, it says, For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. She just kept coming to the tent. She would be there when the judge showed up. She would be there when the judge left. She wore him down. And she also began, in fact, if you kind of dive into the Greek, he was, he was concerned because he, he was afraid that he might lose face within the community and lose his grip on authority. And so he gave in to her because of her persistent coming. I think I've told you once before that anyone in the room that really wants to be wealthy one day, you need to hire my daughter McKenna when she grows up. Put her in sales and she will do really well because she could sell ice to an Eskimo. And uh, I mean, I, I, I fear God and I try to treat people well, but I can relate to this judge sometimes. Sometimes that girl, I love her to death, she's just a sweetheart of a child, but she can wear you down. I usually pick up my girls from school 
on Fridays. I look forward to that every week. And so the girls will get in the truck, and after they say hi to me, she often looks at me and says, It's hot, isn't it, Dad? I'll be like, Yeah, it is hot. Then a few moments later, she's like, Hydration is important for a kid, isn't it, Father? I'll be like, Yeah, hydration's important for, for a kid. Hmm, has anybody seen my water bottle? Yeah, it's over here. Oh, Dad, it's empty. And then conveniently, just a couple minutes later, 7 Eleven. And she goes, Hmm. Maybe we could step at, stop at 7-Eleven in order to get a Slurpee or something like that. And what you need to know about McKenna is she was setting up the Slurpee all the way at the beginning when she said, it's hot. I mean, it's like a chess player. She's just capable of doing this. And she has this, I guess it's a spiritual gift. Uh, she has a spiritual <laughs> gift of persistence. And so this widow, she just kept pers- persisting and pestering the judge until finally he says, okay, I'll give you justice. I just want to get rid of her. I can't take it anymore, okay? And so the justice, even though the judge, even though he didn't fear God, even though he really didn't care about people, he did the right thing in this situation. Now, Jesus is trying to use this as a contrast. The judge is sitting in contrast to our Heavenly Father, and Jesus is going to make a spiritual point in the next verse. So look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay to help them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find that faith on earth. Now, three spiritual truths from this parable that I want you to grab. Number one, God cares. God cares about the struggle. If the unjust judge responds to the persistent widow, imagine how much your just God, who loves you and cares about you, will respond to his faithful child. The judge had to be bribed. He didn't want to help. His, his sense of justice was perverted. And ultimately, he acted in order to save his own image. But when it comes to our God, you can't bribe him. In fact, if you think about it, he already owns it all. How are you going to bribe somebody who already owns it all? And so he, he can't be bribed, and his justice is altogether pure. His motives are holy, and he gives out of a genuine love for his elect or his children in the passage. So understand that prayer is not about manipulating God, but it is about faithfully going to God, and it is okay as you continually go to God to bring the request of your heart to Him. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, this is what's going on. I need your help. Lord, here's my prayer request today. Now recognize that sometimes when we ask God for something, God says no. I don't know about you, but I don't like the word no. And when I bring a prayer request to the Lord and He tells me no, it can be hard to swallow. It's difficult whenever God says no, 
But you need to receive the no, realizing that your Heavenly Father loves you and cares about you. As parents, it's easy to fall into the trap of always giving our children the gift of no. Father, may I do this today? No. May I have no? And it's easy to just start saying no, 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 no. And we need to remember that when we extend the gift of no, it's because we truly love our children. And perhaps we even have the bigger picture in mind. And so our holy, gracious God, when He tells us no, He does so knowing the bigger picture, and He does so out of a heart of love. And so whenever God tells us no, our response is to trust Him. Sometimes God tells us yes. You ever had a prayer request and God just answered it? I mean, that's a glorious moment. What should you do? You should praise Him. Thank God for it. Praise God because you have seen Him act and work in a way that that brought blessing to you. So praise Him. And sometimes God tells you wait. Sometimes God doesn't tell you no. He just tells you now's not the time. And You need to continue waiting, and you need to continue uh, being persistent. So how do we respond whenever God tells us to wait on something? You respond by continuing in faith. Look at verse 8 again. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, He will find that faith on earth. You see, there is some justice that is not going to happen until the day that the Son of Man comes. And what God desires from us during the interval, is that his children will continue going forward in faith. Now, a second spiritual truth in the parable. God uses the persistency of prayer to mold our hearts. How does God grow us spiritually? How do you become more godly? Does he grow us spiritually simply by spoiling us? He gives us donuts and milkshakes for breakfast and lunch and spoils us and we grow spiritually. Is that how he does it? Maybe there's a YouTube channel for it that if we just watch this YouTube channel, then we'll grow spiritually or attend this conference and suddenly we'll be mature. I'm all for attending Bible studies and I think it's very profitable for us as Christians to gain greater knowledge of the Word and to be able to dialogue in theology, but just because you go to a conference or go to a class, doesn't mean that you are growing spiritually from the inside out. One of the primary ways that God grows us spiritually is by taking us through trials. If you have your Bibles, look to James chapter 1. Now, sometimes we feel that this is a little counterintuitive because we want God to grow us spiritually The easy way, but the scriptures say, for you to grow spiritually, you're going to have to persevere through some difficulties. So look at verse 2 of James chapter 1. Consider it great joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials. Now, right off the bat, we have something that doesn't really make sense to us. We have these trials in life, whatever they might be, marriage, family, job, trials in life. And the scripture says that we need to consider it great joy. That word consider means that you have settled it in your mind. You have come to a 
resting point. And that word joy literally uh, breaks down into calm. Because in your mind, you have considered it from a godly perspective, you now have a considered calm that is going to take you through various trials. Now, how can you go through these various trials with a considered attitude and a calm spirit? Because the next verse says knowing. You see, you know something about what you're going through. You know something about your God. And you know something about what God is doing within you as you go through the difficult moment. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance in every area of your life for you to have endurance you have to go through some type of testing there has to be a stretching growth always requires that you go through testing and that you persevere this is true uh, if you if you want to get in shape natalie reed ran a half marathon yesterday Praise God for Natalie uh, being able to do that. Now, before someone goes out to run a half marathon, you've got to train a little bit. And you run a little bit further, and you kind of go through a training plan, and you get your heart rate up. And as 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 your body is stressed, as you put your body through those trials, what happens within you is that you develop an endurance within you. Now, look at verse 4. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. So if you envision yourself as becoming a mature disciple, a mature Christian, you're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to go through trials. God's going to have to stretch you at times, build your faith, build your endurance. You say, I don't want that. I get it, okay? But consider it it joy because you know that during that trial, God is going to grow you and stretch you and mature you. Now, don't get weird on this, okay? Don't get to where you're like, man, I just want some adversity today. I'm going to find as much trouble as I can get because I want to grow today, okay? That's not what the Scripture is talking about here, that you just run to trouble. But when you find yourself in seasons of difficulty, know this. God can use that adversity to grow you and mature you. And He uses the persistency of prayer during that adversity to mold your heart and mature you. Thirdly, the day of justice will come. And we saw this, this is building on last week's passage that talked about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes again, we learned last week that it will surprise people, that when He comes again, it will be too late at that point to get the house in order, and that it will be final. When Christ comes again, all things will be made new, and God's justice will eternally separate evil and injustice from love and truth. There is an aspect to the gospel story that Christ has come and He will come. 
When Christ came the first time, He came as the innocent baby of Bethlehem. He took on flesh, lived a life that we couldn't live, died a death on our behalf so that our heart might be redeemed and death might be conquered. When He comes again the second time, He comes as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to restore the fracture of creation that occurred with the fall of man all the way back in Eden. And the darkness and injustice of this world are temporary whenever you understand that Christ will come again. So live with eternity in mind. Now let me ask you this question. What are your prayer requests today? As you walked in these doors, what what are the prayer requests on your heart? We all have them. I had a a friend pass away about a week ago. Name's Billy Jerica. And Next Saturday, I'll be in Austin with uh, his family, and we'll be leading the um, funeral service for my friend Billy. And so my prayer request today is that you would pray for Shirley Jerica and her family, that God's comfort would be with them during this time of grief. Within the room today, some of you are going through difficult times with your children, your grandchildren, adult children. It may be the finances are a real stress for you right now. Maybe you're looking for a job. Perhaps there's an area of your health, a big decision that you have to make. Something has to be decided, and it has to be decided soon. And all these pressures of life are weighing down upon you as you come into the room today. And it's easy. It's easy to be so consumed with life that we just quit praying and here's what happens when we quit praying we start trying to solve all of life in our own wisdom with our own sense of logic and we lay down faith and we often pick up worry and we find ourselves filled with anxiety and we are a long long ways away from this considered soul that can find joy even in the midst of the trial And so Jesus reminds us today with this parable to keep on praying. And when we pray, God molds our hearts and He strengthens us to live His will. His heart was breaking when He arrived at the garden. He was in many ways overcome with emotion, the anxiety about what was ahead, was heavy upon him because he knew that in a few hours he would be betrayed, that he was going to be arrested, tortured, crucified, and that he would be dead before the sun set again. And so Jesus arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane with his friends because Jesus needed to pray. And so he asked his friends if they would be there for him if they would watch and pray. And then he went into the garden that we call Gethsemane. And there, one of the greatest illustrations about the persistency of prayer unfolds on the pages of Scripture. Christ goes before his heavenly Father, overwhelmed with emotion, and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. What an incredible example of prayer. He acknowledged God. 
He acknowledged his relationship to God. He acknowledged that all things are possible with God. And he brought his prayer request before the Heavenly Father. Take this cup from me. And yet he surrendered his will to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. He gets up from prayer and he goes back to see his friends who were supposed to be watching and praying. And he's disheartened because instead of watching, they're asleep. So once again, he discovers that strength's not going to be found from them. Strength's going to be found from God. He goes back to the garden, and the same scene unfolds. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He returns and finds once again that his friends are are sleeping, and through persistency of prayer, he reenters the garden, and again he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Here's my request. Here's my desire. You are all-powerful. Take this cup from me. Here's what I want to see happen. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And God told him, no. The cross is my will. The cross is my plan. It's my desire. But what God did for him in that scene beneath the olive branches as God ministered to his heart, God strengthened him. God molded him, and whenever we come to God and we pray and we are persistent in our prayer and we bring our request and we spend time abiding with him, he molds our will, he changes our desires, he shapes us and he guides us so that whenever we say, not my will, but your will be done, the Father's will becomes our will. And there are times when we go into prayer, and this is what we want, but through the season of prayer, God begins to change us and strengthen us so that what we really want is what God wants. And that's what happened in the garden. The humanity of Christ was gushing forth, but God strengthened him within his soul so that the Jesus that entered the garden was very different than the Jesus that left the garden. The Jesus that left the garden was ready to face the cross. The Jesus that left the garden was like, my hour has arrived, and he faced the cross head on because he had been strengthened, strengthened by the Father to do the will of God. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Don't stop praying. Don't think of prayer as this competition that you either win or lose. Prayer is your time to spend time with the Father. And it is through that that God will shape you and mold you and grow you into the people that He has created you to be. God desires to use your life for His glory. And whenever you draw near to God, God will equip you to live that life. To serve Him with a singleness of purpose that seeks to honor Him in all things. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? I'm here at the front. If I can pray with you, help you, encourage you in any way, it's my joy to do so. I'll be here doing this hymn, be here after the service as well. Could be during this time that some of you just need to pray. You can come pray here at the front, you can pray at your seat. Maybe there's somebody in the room that God is leading you to pray with and you just need to go over to them and pray over them. For others, you may want to spend this time worshiping with the students as they lead us. Let's just open our hearts and give our soul back to the Lord and
spend time with Him. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the gift of prayer. Pray that it might not be neglected. Pray, Father, that we will be able to pray as Your Son prayed. Nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. And Father, we are reminded today that You desire for us to draw near to You. And that as we draw near to You, You strengthen us. And You give us what, what is needed to face the trial. And I lift up my friends that are in this room today that are going through the trial. I pray that You will fill empty of them of anxiety. Fill them with faith. Shape their heart and cast their eyes upon you. Lord, during times of difficulty, may we glance at the problem and gaze at our God, knowing that you are sovereign and that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.